Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. They always seem to call me when I'm teaching a bunch of classes. Hey, your son's sick. Almost like... And today, of course, would be the day also when Isabel's got a classes, and it would be impossible. And I have three classes in a row. Yes, it's Hell Day. Welcome to Hell Day. So, um, <laughs> as far as doing that analysis, this is all stuff you know. You may not know it by this name, or, or you might. Uh, but, see, so like, ooh. Isn't that prettier than PowerPoint? Um, it can do a lot of, the, again, the other reason I use Keynote in this class is because there's, there's things it can do that, with math, with math, with equations and symbols, and also I can zoom in on things and stuff, which is quite nice. Um, okay, if you're going to find anything out about a data set, you have to first understand the data. One of the things I'm going to talk about in this course a lot is getting a feel for your numbers, getting an intuitive feel for statistics. Because while this is all theoretical stuff, we still have to get a feel for our numbers. So when you, and that's almost a subjective kind of thing, but when you get this kind of, I guess, relationship almost to your data set, it's easy to find mistakes, right? And that can actually be mistakes in coding. You know, a lot of times you're coding, you're putting numbers into a, into a computer, and it's from, say, a questionnaire a lot of times. That's a lot of us will use questions. Or it could be something like, a, a, you know, percentage of words recalled. It could be anything. Right? Unless we are directly having the, the, the data recorded into a computer file, which we very rarely are in, in, in um, it happens, but it's not as common as somebody having to code something later. We're going to make mistakes. You're bound to. You're human. You're going to make mistakes. Um, so that's one thing. So maybe you find something like, you know, it's a 1 to 7 scale, and suddenly there's a 23 in there. Well, you shouldn't expect a 23 or even an 8. Um, it's also easy to find out what actually happened. What I, what I mean by that is there's statistical significance, and we all know most of this course is about that. But there's also, let's call it practical significance. So it might be the case, for example, that you don't find that there's a, point, a, a difference at the 0.05 level, et cetera. That's, that's common enough, sure. Especially like in an honors thesis, most of them don't work. You know, so that's okay. Um, but what if there actually is a difference there? And it's got something to do with, for example, maybe you violated an assumption. Maybe you've got your variances are wildly off or something. So there really is a difference. You just don't see, the, the stats don't see it. My PhD supervisor, Sarah Shuttleworth, used to always say statistics are there to, 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 to confirm what we already know. So if we find a difference by looking at the data, we should be able to find that difference in the statistical test. If we don't, then there's something wrong. It's also easy to find odd values, what people call outliers. Because sometimes it's a coding mistake, and sometimes it's not. Like, think about, okay, one of the things that um, a buddy of mine did way back in grad school, um, he was our TA for our graduate stats class, and he was interested in setting up a questionnaire sort of thing that could 
determine how much people smoked per day. Because when someone's quitting smoking, you want to know how much they did their smoking. Or, or, you know, just an MD would want to know that. There's a really easy way to do it without a questionnaire, and it's to take a blood sample or a saliva sample. Except that that's kind of invasive. Wouldn't it be nice if you could give people four or five questions and you could get something as accurate as the saliva scent? That'd be great. That was what he was trying to do. So he collected data from 500 people um, at the Ontario Science Centre in Toronto, and uh, which is a great place. People, it's a great place to collect data like that because people are into science. So they'll fill out they'll they'll fill out questionnaires. They, that's great. So he got 500 smokers to fill this thing out, and he actually got them also to do the saliva sample. And he then built a regression model predicting how many cigarettes they smoked. Great. So he gave us the data set. That was one of the things, one of the assignments we had. And we were to do, we're talking about today, exploratory data analysis on this data set. You're looking through, and there is a person who said they smoked 400 cigarettes a day. Now, that's probably a coding error. Right? It's probably 40. Right? It's probably not 400. It's probably somebody's finger slipped and they, get, they hit the zero twice. Because you can't smoke 400 cigarettes in a day. <laughs> you, I don't think there's enough time in a the day. There probably literally isn't enough time in a day. If you really suck hard in a cigarette, you can probably finish it in about two minutes. No, I know this guy who finished in like 30 seconds. You can't really, you can't smoke a cigarette in 30 seconds, though. Well, he And he smokes like three packs a day. That's a lot of cigarettes. I know. That's professional. That's like, <laughs> that's like <laughs> screw, the, screw the Olympics GoPro. GoPro. Um, but, like, if you could smoke one every two minutes, let's say five minutes is a little more reasonable, though. Because even a heavy smoker, if you, one after the other, you start to cough and get nauseous and stuff. So that's what, one every five minutes is still pretty insane. So that's what, uh, five minutes, and that's going to be how many per hour? It's going to be, what, 20 per hour? No, that's wrong. 12. 12 per hour, what was I saying? 12 per hour, how, and how you're, you're awake for, let's say, 10 hours, to make the math easy, that's still only 120 a day. You couldn't smoke 400 cigarettes in a day. That's by a coding error. On the other hand, there was someone who said they started smoking at 8. That's how, like, not 8 o'clock, 8 years old. And you might think at first that could be a coding error, but there are people that start smoking when they're pretty young. That's possible. You first might think maybe you're supposed to be 18. So that's possible, you know, especially considering these data were collected in the 19, uh, late 1980s and that person might have been 75 years old. People did start smoking when they were 7 and 8 and 10 years old back then. Apparently my dad, my dad started smoking when he was 13 years old and his mother said she was worried. He just lit up a cigarette at breakfast one Because that's the kind of thing you could do back then. Um, it's kind of like when you have your first cup of coffee in front of your parents, you just pour it and they don't say anything. You go, oh, I guess I can drink coffee now. <laughs> so apparently my dad lights up a cigarette. His, his mother says, I'm afraid it's going to stunt your growth. He said, Mom, I'm six feet tall and I'm 13 years old. <laughs> and she said, No, that's a good point. It's a different time, right? It would have been what, 1959. So, I mean, it's a different world. 
So it's possible, in fact, the guy did start smoking when he was eight years old. It makes you wonder, though, in that case, maybe we remove that guy's data. Is he a standard smoker from today? No. Right? Or if someone said they smoked 100 cigarettes a day, are they a standard smoker? Are they part of the, regular, the general population of smokers who are interested in it? You could make an argument, perhaps, to remove their data. So that's the kind of thing you do when you get this sort of feel for your numbers by, by basically calculating really simple descriptive statistics, drawing pictures, stuff like that. So probably, the most, probably almost the most important and most, certainly most overlooked part of statistics is exploratory data analysis, or EDA. Um, this was an idea that's developed by John Tukey in the book Exploratory Data Analysis. Uh, I moved for the movie. Um, and really all this is, is calculating, like I said, descriptive statistics and, and, and drawing pictures, like, you know, scatter plots, things like that. This is going to allow you to generate hypotheses and get this, like I said, this feel for your data. So you can look at something that that doesn't belong. Or that does belong. That's all you're trying to do. That's all you're trying to do. It's going to give us an idea, as I say here, how the experiment went, like what happened. It's not going to tell us anything significant. That's, we're not there yet. Not, that's later on. But it's going to tell us probably if something worked, because we can look at you know graphs and stuff. But we're not going to lose the richness of the data. In other words, we're not going to lose the individual values. Once you put in a mean... Once you start playing with means, you've lost a lot of resolution, haven't you? Right? The mean describes the behavior. B.F. Skinner once said, the mean describes the behavior of no animal. Right? Now, we need to look at means. It's important. We have to. We have to look at averages. But we don't want to always lose that resolution. Okay? Make sense? And remember, this is a first step that you're going to take. Okay, I don't know what these are. I don't care what they are. We could, we could make something up. Let's pretend they're, let's see. They're, they're, they're scores on a test out of 35. There you go. That's good. <laughs> so, here's the x value, and f is the frequency. We've got one person at 10 out of 35. <laughs> That's pretty rough. 23 out of 35, it's okay, a couple people, five out of, this, is, this would actually be a lot like you would expect on a sort of 21-26 test number two. More people in the class. <laughs> right, there's always, there's a small percentage, of, this just doesn't get it. Just, it never will. Switch majors. <laughs> no, seriously, there are people that just don't get it, and they can't, and it's too bad, it's, I feel bad for and then there are people that go like, what, what, is this hard? How is this hard, right? And then there's people doing well, most people doing around here, and then again, so this, yeah, let's pretend it's It's out of 35, it's a test. That's possible. That does not look like a ridiculous. This would not frighten me if I got these data back when I gave a test. I'd be actually pretty happy. 25 to 35, 5 sevenths. Yeah, that's nice. That's a, that's a decent median. That's good. Okay. So, 
What did I show you that for? Well, that allows us, I'm just going to use it as an example. So there's a couple of things we can do. We can get a total, which is the sum of the x values times the frequencies. So there's that. It's, uh, well, that should be an end parenthesis, sorry. Uh, 309. The sigma sign means the sum of. You know that, right? Yeah. Remember that? It means add them all up. That's what that means. Okay? So we're adding up the x values, it's the values, times their frequencies. This is what's going to allow us to get things like the average, the mean. Okay? Don't worry about the numbers. I mean, really, seriously. You know how to do that. You guys on a multiplying add, right? Don't worry about it. So it can also give us, we can use the, the relative, the, the, the frequency table, to get what's called the relative frequency histogram. Um, okay, how did I do that? I don't know, computers. I put the numbers in. I think I used, I probably used the uh, Apple program numbers, the spreadsheet, because it plays well with, 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 uh, with Keynote. So that's probably why I did it. You could do it with Google Docs. You could do it with Excel. SPSS if you want to get crazy. But the thing is, I'm not going to ever, this is the kind of thing, I wouldn't be using this for presentation in a paper, for example. I'm doing this for myself. And I do this whenever I give a test. You guys probably noticed that I always tell you what the average is, the mean is the standard deviation. It's just a thing I do. Because I want you to know um, what, how you did relatively, I guess. But also, I do it because I want to see how you did and see if there's something to miss. I have years of data on all the classes I've taught. So I know if I've got a weak class or a strong class. I just I do because I've taught. Like for example, I've taught this is the twentieth time as I said the other day. I've taught this class. If you guys are three points below what I expect, that says something. If you're three points above, it says something. More than likely though, you'll be almost exactly where you're supposed to be, plus or minus one point. I can guess intro site grades, by the way, because the sample size is big enough, and I teach intro. I can guess them down, like averages, down to about 0.1, plus or minus 0.1 points. I, at least I have been. Who knows? I haven't taught intro in the regular year since 2009. So I would look at this, and I would say, I made this, all this is, it's just like, okay, so five people got 25. Remember that? I look at this. Would I have any concerns? Would you have any concerns looking at this? Anybody? You think is there any, is this, does anything seem amiss at all? Oh, I do wonder a little bit about that one person. <laughs> no, I do. I wonder is this person not doing well because they don't know what they're doing, or maybe they just aren't even really in the right class. Maybe they came in, they got embarrassed, and they thought, "Well, I guess I'll stay there and write the test." <laughs> you ever done that? You ever gone into a classroom and? You get like not them write a test, but you just sit there and go, "Well, I got I've made my choice. I'm here now." <laughs> right? I, I did that first year. I was, first year scary. Remember first year? And it's scarier at a big school than a small school. So I was at Western, which is you know twenty eight thousand students. So I walked into it. I thought it was going to be my history class, but it was a fourth year chemistry class. <laughs> uh, I just sat there. <laughs> I was like, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know, I have a clue what's going on. <laughs> I'm 
good at chemistry, but this is way <laughs> over my head. This has got nothing to do with totalitarianism in the 20th century. <laughs> of course I was taken. So maybe that, that person, you know, I don't know. Maybe they were sick a lot. You know, there's all kinds of possibilities. But I would be concerned a little bit about that. But look at the rest of this. We got a nice, it's like, the shape looks good. And again, have I lost any richness in the data? No, I can completely reconstruct what the numbers are. There's one, one person at 10, right? There's five people at 25, except one person at 35. I'm not caring a lot about the labels. I don't give a shit about that right now. This is not about, you know, you remember probably, at least in your book in 2126, they talk about real limits and all that stuff. Who cares? This isn't going into a, this isn't going into a paper. This is so I can look at it and get a feel for how my numbers look like. So I can reconstruct the data set. No problem. That's easy. So again, I, I do this whenever I have a test. I quickly, uh, with in Google Docs, because that's what I use for all my saving all my uh, grades, because it's possible I could lose a file. It's exceedingly unlikely Google's servers will lose all the files. So, and I can access it from anywhere, my phone. That's not like <coughs> selling these products. Um, <laughs> But then, yeah, I just use the histogram feature, and bang, there's a, there's a chart. It's easy. Well, I can spot oddities, like I said. Maybe there's something wrong here. Now, if the, put it this way. If it was all shifted over, all over here, I, I'd, I'd be concerned as well, because more people failed, and i think this is probably this. The chance that the whole class is poor, it's more likely that I did a piss-poor job or I wrote a bad test. Right? If everybody does poorly, in a, that's a pretty small sample. But if we had a big enough sample, like this, this size, okay? You guys were 20 odd of you. Um, if on the first test the average was 40, that's, there's something wrong. And it's unlikely it's your fault. It's possible. But it's more likely that I wrote a test, like I made up a test that was too hard. Or I just didn't teach very well. It's possible, Right? It's very unlikely that it's all you guys. It's hard to have those realizations sometimes, but it's quite possible. Um, so it was all shifted over. And then I'd be concerned, like, well, had the one person get perfect? Maybe they cheated. <laughs> this was so hard for everybody else. It seems unlikely. Okay, so those are numbers. You can do categories. You can get what's called, you can get a histogram. You, can, you don't get a histogram, but you get a bar graph. Um, you can also do a pie chart. I don't care. I hate pie charts. I, I, they don't do it. I, they look to me always like someone's, now let's look at show what the marketing boys are up to. <laughs> so I, I just, I don't, it doesn't do anything for me, but that's because it's, I mean, personally, I don't care about it, but if you like pie charts, if they help you envisage things, um, wonderful, use them. Because again, you're not, this stuff doesn't go in your paper. This is stuff that you are just collecting data so you can get a feel for stuff. So the x-axis, and they're pretty much the same thing as a histogram, but the x-axis doesn't have a scale. Right? And how can it? So let's say this in an old stats class back when sociology and CSD people used to take that. Uh, they don't anymore. I don't know why. Uh, that word is. But now we would replace that with biology, but now it's just psychology and biology. It wouldn't make for an interesting graph. So let's say it looks like this. So there you go. Now look, this doesn't mean anything. Is sociology twice the, co the, 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 the program that psychology is? Not even close. 
Um, no, it doesn't mean the, 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 the scale of the body is meaningless. It's meaningless, right? It's completely meaningless. So the one advantage of this, the pie chart here, is that it allows you to, these things aren't put in any order. So the order sometimes makes people think that, that there's still some value in that x-axis, and there really isn't anything. It's just a, a million frequencies. Right? Again, this is not something you'd be including in your in a, in a paper, so it doesn't really matter. I know that this value, this doesn't mean anything, so I don't give a crap. Right? So I might do that for myself just to get a feel for, oh, look, it's mostly psychology, but if we put these two together, about the same, right? Now, of course, it's not that way anymore. It's just psychology and biology. And some geography students are. Yeah. Yeah, geography. But it's called geography 2606. That's that, 2126. Don't ask me why. I don't know. These things are all so confusing to me. So it could be like that. So just remember, you got to always remember that the x-axis has no value to it. Now, quantitative variables, though, we, have, we can use the histogram. Quantitative variables are just variables that have quantity. Right? The, the numbers mean something. Now, you've got to be a little worried about that sometimes. Not worried, but remember that just because there's a number doesn't mean the number actually means it. Because it could just be categories that are numbers. Right? Like TV channels... The numbers of TV channels don't mean anything. Do that, right? So channel two, let's see, channel two on Shaw Cable is uh, the weather channel, right? Channel three is uh, probably global because it's usually channel three. See, I don't even know. We just switched, actually, from Bell, so that's one thing. But secondly, I don't know. I have my remote program that it has little icons that says CNN, and I push that little icon, and CNN comes up. But is global which is three, and then the weather channel's two, is global one and a half times the TV channel that the weather channel is? No. So sometimes numbers don't mean anything. Right? Is the class I teach after this class is psychology 4007. I enter. <laughs> I close the door. Um, is psych 4007. Is there, yeah, it's got a number, it doesn't mean anything. Except the, the four probably means something. But the other numbers don't mean really anything other than they, uh, they, they kill the register or something, I think. Like the six and the sevens mean something. And the numbers in the middle mean something, clearly, but I don't really know what. It's true. Because think about it 3106 is animal behavior. 3196 is human evolution of psychology. They're both evolutionary classes. Ah, see? It means something. 2606 is brain behavior. 2617 is neuropsychology. Isn't that weird? 2606 is brain behavior. 2617 is neuropsychology. So the six means brain. <laughs> so those are numbers, but they're just labels. Right? They're just labels. So you got to keep that in mind. Because um, you can't take averages of, of numbers that, well, you can. The numbers don't know where they come from. Torture the data enough, it'll tell you anything. But um, 
the numbers, my old stats prof, Ian Spence at U of T when I was in grad school, and you'll hear me speak of him a lot because um, very influential in my career as far as how I view statistics. Um, and he, Ian used to always say, um, the numbers don't know where they come from. He's Scottish, obviously. Um, actually, he's German. I can't do a Scottish accent. No, I'm kidding. Of course, he was Scottish. Still in Scottish. I think he's still alive. Why, why am I coming past heads? That's horrible. I don't want him to be dead. I know he's not dead. I know he's alive. Um, I emailed him a couple weeks ago. Anyway, unless he died since. That would be horrible. So, so the numbers, if you could take averages of TV channels, it wouldn't mean anything. You could take averages of course, but it doesn't mean anything. But with numbers that are real quantitative variables, we can get central tendency, right? We can get spread, and we can get shape, shape of the distribution. So we can get those three things. Okay, it's not bad. Okay, so we can talk about the shape of the distribution. We get skewness, right? So a negative skew, which is weird because I know it always looked to me like it, intuitively it should be that that's a positive skew and that's a negative skew. Intuitively, intuitively is wrong here. There's, there's a, well, to me, my, my intuitions are wrong. Does anybody else think that though too? Is it? No. no. <laughs> you all do? A lot of you do. You feel that way? Okay, so that's good because I, I, okay. Here's, you know, here's an expression. You want to remember it? The tail. Tells the tale. <laughs> pretty good. Cheryl told me that. I haven't forgotten it since, so that's good. I mean, she told me that like two years ago. Before that, I'd always get confused and I'd have to look it up. Put it this way I don't really give a shit if you know what positive or negative skew is. How much of skewness is. Skewness is when it, it's not. Normal uh, Not necessarily normal, it's, it's, it's not uh, sexual. It's, it's over to one side. Right? It's biased in a direction. It's probably the best way to put it. Okay. You can also talk about kurtosis. Kurtosis. I had that once. They get treated that patient now, which is great. But um, thank you. If something is leptocurtic, it means it's peaked. And if it's platycurtic, it means it's flat. I, I, those are terms I always have to read off the damn slide reader. I don't even know them. I don't know what kurtosis is. It's how peaked a distribution is. Can you measure this with numbers? Yeah, you can. I, I don't know how. But one could. I can't do it, but a man could. So it's possible to do it. That doesn't matter. To me, for our purposes, it doesn't matter. If this was a course in a math department, they wouldn't have to teach it, first of all, probably. And secondly, they would care. I don't care. You will see sometimes when you put, if you go into a, a almost any statistical package like SPSS or even a lot of the stuff with, with, with spreadsheets, you will see. You can get a kurtosis number. I, that's fine. I just don't know how to interpret it. Like I don't know if, if, it, is it, if it's seven, is that bad? I, I don't know. I really don't know, and I don't care because for our purposes, it doesn't matter. If, if, it, if it's useful to you, that's great. So you might want to say, "Oh, it's more or less peak." That's fine. 
right? So that's some stuff about shape. We don't have to worry too much about that. Um, a distribution can be symmetrical or asymmetrical. So on one or the other side, do we have some difference or is it the same? Uh, it can be unimodal or bimodal. as one mode or many modes, two modes. You might see unimodal distributions are pretty common, especially braids. I mean, that's a very common thing I see in, in, in braids. Uh, marks for a class. I do see when I have taught 2126, which I haven't done in a very long time, I haven't done it since, since Dwayne got here, and then he left, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> right away to Newfoundland, and that's fine. And you do that, I don't care, and then I teach four courses, and that's great. It's fine. It's fine you have your way to you. But, where was I going with that? <laughs> what did this rant about Dwayne leaving? Stats, yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I used to teach uh, 2126 before he came here. So, first test, you get it. You get this. You get a bimodal distribution. Totally. Always. Because there's two kinds of people in the world. People that understand statistics and people who are frightened of it. And the frightened tend to have a really mo mode over here. And then the okay people are over here. And eventually that goes away. Well, it goes away for two reasons. The frightened people get less frightened, and a lot of them drop the class. <laughs> so you start getting a unimodal distribution. But literally, I, I would always get a bimodal distribution in the first test. You see, there'd be one around 50 and one around 80. You get like that. You don't see that typically. What that usually tells you is you have two underlying populations. And that's why I said in that case, you've got one population that's like, they're not afraid of statistics, they get it. They're not afraid of numbers. And the other group is scared shitless. That's the two groups, right? You try to bring them together. But you really do, in that case, have two underlying populations. So very often, it isn't always the case that you have two underlying populations with a bimodal distribution, but it often is. And it usually should tell you something. You can also get a uniform distribution. Right? Where every possible value is equally likely. When do we get those? Give me an example of when we get a uniform distribution. Think of something where every possible value is equally likely. And equally frequent. Go ahead. No, it's, it's, it's actually... It's normal. Well, it's actually bimodal because we have women and men, but if we have height of women or height of men, it's nice and uh, unimodal and, and normal. Because think about that, Cassie. Do we have just as many people who are seven feet tall as we have yeah. people who are three feet tall? No. Well, actually, we probably do. As many people that are seven feet tall as are six feet tall. Hell no. By the way, you know, if, you're, if you are over seven feet tall, male and American, there is a 16% chance you play in the NBA. <laughs> that's, no, that's actually true. That's a real statistic, which is kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. You think of anything? Nothing good. <laughs> no, come on. Um, you got something, Tom? Get a group of people to pick a number from 1 to 20. Uh, I, I doubt you'd get, I, you'd probably get a bias towards 7 lucky numbers yeah, yeah. and a bias against 13. It's like rolling a die, guys. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, right? You got one to six, or if you're one of those people, one to 20. Yeah, reference to Dungeons and Dragons and such. Or, or, or what about flipping a coin? 
right? Heads and tails. Okay? So you could get a uniform distribution. They're actually a lot more common than you think. You just, it's, it's not the kind of thing we think about statistically very often because it's kind of uninteresting. Because right? the average coin flip is meaningless. Right? It's head and a half. It's, kind of, it's one of those weird things. Now, the, 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 I mean the mean. The mean's meaningless. The uh, modes should be equal. You should get two modes, right? So you uniform distribution. Okay. Okay, here's an example. Um, I pick a hockey example because I don't want a hockey. So this is back. This is Mario Lemieux, who was, um, if you don't, is anybody here not know who Mario Lemieux was? It's okay. I can tell you who it was very quickly. He was an incredible hockey player. Now he's the owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He played for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, if it weren't for Wayne, he's probably the best pure goal scorer in the history of hockey. Okay. He was an incredible hockey player. He was also the captain of our 2002 Olympic team. Oh, by the way, uh, he also like. He had quit playing hockey because he had a bad back and he got cancer. Oh, one year he got cancer, was off for six weeks, and then came back. That's how good an amazing an athlete he was. He got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, so he was out for six weeks. Still won the NHL scoring title. He was an incredible hockey player, but his back got screwed up a lot, and he quit playing, and then he came back. He quit playing, bought the team he played for. <laughs> well, he bought the team because they owed him a bunch of money and they didn't have any money. And he said, you know, I'll make you a deal. Just give me the team. <laughs> and then he came back and the weird thing was all the players really worked for him. And so did his coach. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so he was, it was an incredible story. And he led us to the gold medal, our first one in 50-odd years, which is pretty cool. So here's the number of goals he scored in his career, different years. So that's, he was 18 years old there. That's pretty impressive. Um, you can see there's a lot of funny things happen when you look at these. Like, what's going on? Why do we have 19 goals one year? That's odd, right? Kind of surprising. Um, this 17 is because there was a, that was hurt here. The 17 goals only scored here, um, he was hurt there. The 35 here, is that right? No, this 17, I think, is because there was the lockout and the season was only 42 games long. Um, that's the cancer year. So it's 70 goals. Like, you can't even. Scoring 50 is something that hardly anybody does. He was an incredible hockey player. Um, so then, there's also like four years intervening here where he never played, he just owned the team. And then he came back and got 28 goals in half a season. Um, his last year was 2005, 2006, where he played on the line with City Crosby, which was pretty neat. Like, it was just, he was an amazing hockey player. So I got a lot of respect for him. He was pretty incredible. Okay. Let's take a look at this. You probably want to group these values. You can do a histogram, of course, but so let's start with that. So that's just a midpoint. You can see it's funny because he's got a lot of years where he's got very few. And one crazy year, well, it's actually not 90, it's 89, right? Do wherever it was? These are just, just midpoints. And it doesn't really matter. 
it's just, it gives us the idea that he's got a couple of pretty amazing years. Most often he scored around 50, which is something that is the gold standard in hockey. So don't worry about that. There's the real limit stuff. It's not a big deal. The scale has to make some sense. So the x-axis scale has to make some sense. And there's no other way that could work but go from lowest to highest. The y-axis scale is important too. Now, let's see if I can remember this example. We lived in, in uh, Newfoundland, in Quarterbrook. Um, most people in Newfoundland heat their homes. There's no, there's no natural gas. Okay, so I know a lot of people here use gas. Uh, there, is, there is no infrastructure for natural gas. So it's heating oil, it's electric, or it's wood. That's the three ways people heat their. Uh, some people use propane. Let's not. So there's three ways you can do it. So the um, the most expensive way, typically, when I was living there, was electricity. <laughs> not anymore. Well, it's probably the case because oil's gone down in price, and heating oil's gone down too. So the electricity people were always trying to convince you that it wasn't that expensive because they wanted customers. That's that sure. That's how the market works. I get. So they sent out this pamphlet. Right? And everybody had an electric bill because you had your lights. So they send this little pamphlet out and they're showing how much it costs to heat your home using different methods. Okay? And there's a little history. And they were just comparing electricity and oil. Okay? So they've got the oil one here and the electricity one here. And how did this go? Oh, yeah. Wow, those look almost the same. And then when you look at the scale, you realized that it's went up to $500 a month. And nobody's spending $500 a month to heat their house. But if you make the scale big enough, the difference seems really, really small. The great thing was the, on the, the oil people went the other way. Anybody here heating oil use that? It's weird. It's really weird. A truck comes to your house and fills up a tank in your house. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> so the oil people, it's Irving. It's a big oil company out east. And it was great because it was the example both sides were doing this deceptive bullshit statistics stuff. The electricity, Newfoundland Light and Power, as it was called, it's doing this, and Urban Oil, I think it was Urban, that sent out theirs, showed this. <laughs> they were both right, by the way, except, see, the axis here started at, like, two-something, 200-something, and the increments were really small. It didn't start at zero. That's what makes it look like it's really cheap. It's not, it's not. <laughs> you can do it. It's easy to do. So you got to be careful. Now, I mean, you wouldn't do this to yourself because you wouldn't want to confuse yourself. <laughs> but look out for that when you see data coming at you. And that can be data from joint political campaigns. That can be data uh, 
for almost anything. When people are trying to make points with numbers, one of the greatest places to go if you want to look at stuff where people use do data-driven stuff is a, a website called 538, and it's all spelled out, .com. Um, they do a tremendous job. It's data-driven journalism. It's something I read every morning, and it's there's news stories, sports, economics, everything, but it's all driven by actual numbers. <coughs> uh, so it's actually kind of a fun. Uh, it's one of my favorite websites because it's, it's politics, it's sports, and statistics all in one place. So this isn't going to matter too much here for us because we wouldn't do that to ourselves. Um, the group data, of course, you lose some of the richness in the data I talked about. So instead, you could do a stem and leaf plot, which is that, right? You know about stem and leaf plots? Sure. This is all stuff you learned in 2126, right? In fact, this is stuff you learned in, in high school. This is stuff you learned in elementary school, isn't it? You actually learn this in elementary school now, which is great. It makes me so happy. It really, really, truly makes me happy. My son, John, brought home, I think it was, last, it was the last year or the year before, might have been the year before, in grade six, and he was doing, uh, making histograms and stem and leaf plots. Like, this is great. And I remember Maddie doing them uh, in Newfoundland in like grade five. Tell me you're in that story where I, I was marking 2126 tests as like, I guess she would have been tense. It was like 1990 or 2005, 2004. Yeah, 2004. Or she was 11. And I was, I was, I swore, I was marked. I was so angry because a person got, we had a 50 this test. And I, this person literally got like five. <laughs> and it pisses me off because it's like, when you just leave it all blank like that, you're not even trying. Like, it, that makes me angry. The other ones where people try really hard and learn a lot of stuff and screw up, that makes me sad. That's different, right? Because the person's trying and they get, this is what I'm going to be trying. So this is enough. So I hit to my desk. I'm like, yeah. Maddie comes in. Well, what's wrong, Dad? I said, well, I'm marking these tests. Of course, it's screw. Look what they got. Five out of 50. And she said, what's this test on? I said, it's, it's statistics. She said, what's that? I said, you know, like uh, means and standard deviations and histograms and standard leaf plots. And you did it in school last year. She said, Oh yeah, I remember that. She says, "Can I write the test?" I said, "Okay." And she had learned most of it in French because she went to French immersion in the I said, "Well, I can. If there's anything you need translated, I can. I can do that for you." So she goes off. She comes back 45 minutes later, and she says, "She hands it to me." I said, "So you want me to mark this?" <laughs> she said, "Yeah." So I said, "Okay." So I go through. She doesn't do the definition. She has definitions really well. Did a stem and leaf plot. Had trouble with the T-test, never seen one, had no idea what to do. Tried something, though, which was impressive. <laughs> um, she tried something. She calculated a couple of means. Uh, I, mark, I said, did you uh, mark it? Yeah, I said, you 22 out of 50. She said, I failed. I said, you're 11. <laughs> <laughs> this person is 22. It's <laughs> actually taken the class, exactly, and is learning it in their native tongue. <laughs> So it's great. You actually learn this stuff now, right? But if you don't know what this is, this is the stem. Yeah? These are the leaves. <laughs> what a stupid name. Like, <laughs> I guess you call it something else. I don't know. But it's like, it's almost like they're trying to be cute so people would like it. <laughs> so 1, 6, and 7, 17, 19, 28, 35, 43, 44, 45, 48, right? 
this was an ordered stemming leaf plot, so the numbers are put in order within the, like, the, the, the leaves are put in order. I don't know why you do an unordered one. I have no clue why anybody would do that, but one could. You know? I'm sure the first one that was done was ordered, and then someone said, oh, I'm going to invent the unordered one. <laughs> right? They handed in their assignment, and the guy said, this is wrong. No, it's, you've never heard of an unordered stemming leaf plot? I just invented it right now. <laughs> That's my guess. I don't think that's true, but it's a guess. It's a good story. Um, you interpret this like a histogram. In fact, you turn your head on the side. Oh, yeah, it looks just like the graph. Right? It's, it's, I love seeing some of you do that, too. It always happens every year. Um, it's easy to spot outliers. <laughs> Are there any outliers here? It's hard to say. Like, that's weird. The one is odd. But he's got a few years here where he was, and I told you, he was hurt a lot. He had trouble with injuries in his career. If, if he wasn't hurt so much, I bet he'd have all the records that Wayne Gretzky has. Or he'd have a lot of them. It was so great to see him playing for Canada in 1987 in the Canada Cup together. God, that was a scary hockey team. It was unreal. It was at a game, Canada put against Sweden in the Montreal Forum. And those of you who know hockey will get this that when Sweden got a penalty about two minutes in, our power play came out with Mark Messier centering Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux with Remo Bork and uh, Paul Coffey on the points. And it was like the Swedish goaltender was, Can I have your autographs before you? Guys are all in the Hall of Fame, like already almost. We scored in like 30 seconds, bang, bang, bang. So I told you it got hurt a lot, so at least that explains these strange numbers. Um, this is, these two are weird. Again, that's one of them a year he's hurt, and another year is because it was a, a lock. Yeah, this is the lockout year, where it's uh, only 48 games, and this is the year where he came back after not having played for four years. <laughs> and he only played half a season. So it preserves the data, though. Assuming I transcribed those properly, which maybe I did, maybe I didn't, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It's easy to spot the middle or the 50th percentile, which is 44. How, many, how do I know that? Well, let's see how many numbers we have. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So we're going to go in 8. We'll give a 16 on either side, and then the one in the middle, right? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And then there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And at the middle one's 44. Right. So that's easy to do. Yeah, I know there are. You always see these, these formulas and stuff for calculating medians. I've seen it. I, I, I don't know how, how you can get a formula. Just say, find the one in the middle. You know, formula for that? Find the one in the middle. That's the 50th percentile, right? All scores, 50% of the scores are below it, 50% are above it. Okay? Percentiles are actually pretty useful. Um, a lot of you guys have heard about, uh, and one, one of the things that actually will happen in this class is we'll talk about, because the place I get all the third-year psych students together, after, the day after the first test, we'll probably just have a, a class where I talk about what graduate school's like, just to give you a notion of it. Um, I've done that every year, and it works out pretty well. Usually see if somebody else can come, Paul or Lori or something. Um, and one of the things about graduate school is the, the graduate record exam, the GRE, right? Your actual raw scores don't matter. I don't know my raw scores. I literally don't know them. I know my percentile ranks still. Because I, they say, how did you do in comparison to everyone who wrote the GRE that day? <coughs> right? That's what matters. Because thousands, tens and thousands of people write it. You, you always kind of hope that tens and thousands of stupid people write it your day. <laughs> <laughs> it's not usually the case that dummies write the GREs, so... 
you could somehow, if you were wealthy, you could just pay a lot of dumb guys to write this year. <laughs> so yeah, your percentile matters. Same thing, I think, with the SATs. If you go to an American uh, university, you have to write the SATs, right? Which is also another scam, just like the GREs. MCATs is the same way. They're all the same. LSATs. They're, your percentile matters. Your overall score doesn't matter a great deal. Right. They've changed the scoring system. I remember it was funny because Dwayne said to Maddie, uh, it was Maddie and somebody else, uh, Victoria, who were writing the GREs, and she said, he said, well, you need at least 150 for your score in math. And they both looked at him. <laughs> and they went, well, I only got like 20. And then I went and looked it up. I said, I think it's at a 22 now. <laughs> They've changed it. So it's like, so, but, but the percentile is what matters, right? So 50 percentile is actually a useful thing because it's the median. It's the... Score you know, below 50, above 50. If you were to look at how you do in a class, I've often said that we shouldn't give out grades. We should give out your percentile ranks. It's almost more, it's almost more reasonable. Um, colleague of mine back in Newfoundland would uh, give people their scores just as Z scores. And he would just give the standard deviation and the mean post that at his door and he'd tell people what their Z score was just to make them do a Z calculation which I think is kind of funny um, so that's actually kind of a useful approach right you can also get what's called with that thing the five number summary the median the first and third quartiles that's the median of the first half it's 25th percentile and it's going to be 17 and a half because we're going to go within that right in the middle Third quartile is 61 and a half, assuming I, again, assuming I did this correctly. Why do we get halves now? Because we've got eight and eight, so we've got to go in the middle of each four, right? So the quartiles are the 25th and 75th percentile. Half to the minimum and the median, and the median and the maximum. That's the five number summary. The median, the first quartile, the third quartile, and the minimum and the maximum. And the, the, the difference between this and this, the first and third quartile, and the minimum and maximum difference, those can tell us a couple of things, a little bit about spread, about how spread out the numbers are. Right? This gives us an idea. So yeah, minimum and maximum. That, that gives you what's called the range. The, um, so then you take those five numbers, and these things mean, they don't help me at all. These box and whisker plots, they don't help me at all. But some people like, again, I think someone thought of that name to make it cute. It's a box and whisker plot. Or a box, I like box plot's a little bit better. I like that term. It sounds a little more uh, serious. A little more serious, but they got to throw whiskers in there. It's like some guy had a cat. <laughs> some statistician with a freaking cat. So, look, there's one. So, what do we got here is we got maximum, minimum, median, third quartile, first quartile. How did I do that? I can't remember. It was really complicated. <laughs> you can actually, statistical software will do it for you nicely. So will, um, I, yeah, I did this with Excel, and it was so hard. You had to... I had to actually watch a YouTube video that had to do it. There's like 17 different steps. But statistical software will do it for you easily. 
The nice thing is there's so much free stuff online now that will let you do these things. There's statistical stuff online uh, with web apps that do this stuff really easily. Um, this difference, distance here between the third quartile and the first quartile is called the interquartile distance, or the IQD. Okay? This is going to tell us something here. This tells us about spread. If, and the median, where the median is in the box, tells us about skews, doesn't it? We've got a whole lot of numbers, obviously, between 50 and 61, whatever. We get the same number of those as we have here. That tells us it's skewed. Uh, let's see, so it's like that. It's negatively skewed. Listen, it actually tells us that. So I guess it's somewhat useful. I, I just never found that they were very meaningful to me. And again, that's just a personal thing. It doesn't matter. If you like these things, I suggest when you, those of you guys that are going to do a thesis next year, when you are taking a look at your data, use those. That's fine. If you're not, if you, this doesn't do anything for you, then you don't use it. Because again, I've never seen a box plot in a paper. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. I've certainly seen other stuff, but I've never seen a box plot. I've, 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 seen, I've even seen pie charts, which is kind of sad. Really. What's going on? Okay. So I talked about central tendency a little bit. Really, one of the three properties to describe a distribution of scores, a distribution is just on a data set. Let's call it a data set if you want, or a batch of numbers. I don't care what you want to call it. Um, so ten, central tendency was the median, for example. We also know it's the median, the mode. But, um, we can also talk about shape. That's that kurtosis and all that. Kurtosis and skewness and Kurtosunistosis. <laughs> Other words I'm now making up. Who's going to invent something like that so I'd have a legacy? You know? Broadbeck's Law. <laughs> it's like when I tried to call the piece of gear that I designed and had in graduate school the Broadbeck box. It just never caught on. <laughs> I only ever used it around friends. I didn't really put it in a paper. My, my supervisor thought I was serious. No, I'm not going to do that. That would be, I, I'm not a dick. You know, even B.F. Skinner didn't call it a Skinner box. Somebody else gave him that, gave that name. He called it an opera box or opera chamber. So, when you name an effect after yourself, it's kind of like giving yourself your own nickname. <laughs> you don't do that. George Costanza wants to be called T-Bone on Seinfeld. That's a good one. All right. Consider the following numbers. 1, 5, 9, 20, and 30. I don't know what they are. I don't care either. <laughs> I had the hockey team of schools before. And 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Okay? Why am I giving you... Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, both of these have the same mean. It's 13. You know how to calculate the mean, right? You add all the numbers up, divide by the number of numbers. So you sum these, they're both out of 65, divided by 5, you get 13. It's the same mean. Aha! But these batches of numbers are not the same. They're the same in one respect, that they have the same mean. The reason I'm telling you this is, one of the points of this, I guess, is, is that 
the mean isn't the only thing that's important. And we get, it happens, I think, a lot to us in psychology. Well, in any kind of science where you're collecting data and talking about means a lot. So biology, psychology, this happens all the time. We seem to only care about means. And we don't consider the, how spread out the numbers are often enough. Right? If I buy, think about this, if I had a, a, a give it a multiple choice test, which I don't very often, but let's say I did that, and I got an average of 25% for the four alternative tests, I would right away probably think, this was the wrong class I gave this test to, because <laughs> it's chance. probably had a bad copy of the test and cheated. Right? It tells me that the, 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 the fake copy of the list of answers that I, I surreptitiously circulated <laughs> was picked up by everybody. I've done things like that. Um... <laughs> You catch cheaters that way, and you don't actually have to kick them out of the clear class. It just it hurts them, and it's funny. I told a class once, an intro second. I got an email from a student who said people were cheating on the test. It's like, yeah, people cheat on. It's intro psych. I know. I thought, yo, I'm gonna do something. This was back in 2005. <laughs> And I stood up and I said, I said, you know, I know that like six of you guys cheated. And I know what six it is. And how do I know what six it is? There's security cameras in this room and I hack into them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm standing there and I'm looking dead serious, too, right? And I said, somebody right now pull out your computer and look up, look up a term called war, uh, uh, war spying, which is hacking into security cameras. I said, our security cameras are not protected. It's they were wireless, they're wired. I mean, it was, they're not over the internet. But I was telling him it was, and I said, I know you. So, so the, the six of you come forward, I'll uh, give you zero on this, and we'll never speak it again. If you don't, I'm going to kick that in the universe. Nine people came It's a great moment. I can do it like once every 15 years. Now it's recorded, it's on the internet. Can't really do it ever again. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if I, if you find something like that, or, you know, there was, a, there was a thing that happened a few years ago. I'm not going to tell you any names of anybody. But it was in, someone said their rats were at chance. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to describe the experiment at all. Because I don't actually think this person cheated. I don't think they made up their data. But they said their rats were at chance. And it was a two-choice task. Except that the most common, like, no, sorry. No, it's right, 50%. But when you looked at the, the variation you should get with random chance, it wasn't there. They were getting either half were getting right and half were getting wrong. 
So even if the person doesn't know how to make up data properly, which is often the case, we know how to make up data. Or more likely, they've got two different subpopulations of rats. The worst part of it was this person kept defending, no, they're a chance, no, they're a chance, and it was a bit of a controversy, uh, which it shouldn't have been, because he should have just admitted, yeah, you're right, math doesn't work. So they're the same, these sets of numbers, but they're different. Um, they both have the same mean, and they're both symmetrical. But how are they different? Well, we can obviously see how they're different. That one's more spread out than the other. The top one here is much more spread out than the bottom. I guilted people into admitted they cheating once. Right? Mm -hmm. I was teaching this same class back in Newfoundland, and um, one of my, my, my assistant guys, my assistant for years, Corey. Came up to me, and he's also a different class, and he comes up and says, uh, There's people cheating on the quizzes. I said, Well, they're idiots, I don't really care. But he said, Yeah, but it really bugs me. And I said, Yeah, fair enough. So I get up and I made a huge, you take advantage of me because I can't see very well. <laughs> 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 so I played the blind card, right? And I did that, and I turned around, and I had this great big grin on my face, but I punched the blackboard because <laughs> I was being mad. <laughs> and people admit it, they should use, right? Um, I said, there's not going to be any consequences, but I am so disappointed in you taking advantage of a disabled person. God! And I, I said, yelled, God damn it, but I turned around and I to myself, this is so funny. The reason I turned around is because I was going to break it. I'm not that good an actor, right? And I hit the wall. It was great. Good moment. Um, there's certain tricks you have up your sleeve as a professor. You do the job long enough, you got little things you do. Switch test, first test, same as last year's first test, second test, completely different. <laughs> then you see the people who just studying off last year's test, that's hilarious too, because they answered last year's question, last year's essay question, they didn't even read it. <laughs> so this is a great answer to last year's question, zero. <laughs> I love doing that. Um, so we kind of talked about spread. So how can we measure spread outedness? Because we want to measure stuff, we want to have a number. Um, the range is a start, lowest to highest. That's obviously a way to begin. Let's get really stuff in here. I guess they're four and a half, three hours and open the door back. Okay. Um, the one to 30 versus 11 to 15, that's good. So that's, that tells us something. The first one's more spread out than the second one. That's pretty crude, though, isn't it? Right? It's not going to tell us much. Uh, it tells us something. It has its use, but it doesn't tell us the whole story. We can look at the interportile distance, the IQD. Sure, and that's going to give us a little more of a fine-grained thing. That's still pretty crude. And in that case, it would just be the second number and the fourth number with both. You know, that's, so that's not going to tell us much. Um, we need something better, something that's kind of like the mean. I mean, you, I know you guys all know where I'm going here, but you need something like the mean. Like the average amount the data are spread out. Right? Well, let's do that. It's easy enough. Okay, here it is. Don't, please don't copy all this down. This is a dead end, so don't copy it down. This is the uh, top set of numbers. So we know that means 13. We take the sum of the numbers minus the average divided by the number of scores. So we get negative 12 minus 8 minus 4 plus 7 plus 17 over 4. It's 0? Damn. 
That doesn't seem right. Well, actually, mathematically, the mathematically sophisticated among you will realize, of course, it's going to be zero. It couldn't be anything but zero. If it was anything but zero, we were either in a different universe or, more likely, you made a mechanical error. So it has to sum to zero. In fact, we'll use that as something. That's going to be a property we're going to care about in a lot of these things. Everything sums to zero. The deviation sums to zero. When you think about it, though, the mean is kind of like the balancing point. We should have just as much on one side as the other. Right? Okay. I've taught this stuff so many times, I know what the next thing's going to be that I'm going to say. Bizarre. Um, I teach you every year. I like a lot of other things. I teach every couple of years or whatever. Like that whole balancing point thing. Right? There it is. I said it. It came up. I PhD. Um, so how do we get rid of those negatives? Because if we got rid of the negatives, we could get some, something, right? Well, the easiest way to do this was the, the absolute value. You thought in grade 9 or grade 8 when they told you about absolute value, you would never hear about it again. Ha-ha! <laughs> There's no way I can keep this up all day. What, what, what? Something funny. No. Um, yeah, absolute value is good. Sure. So let's do that. You still learn. <laughs> this is actually not bad, right? Because look, we're getting the absolute value. This is any absolute value is how much something differs from zero. That's all it is, yeah? So that's pretty good. Add them all up, we have 48 divided by 5 is 9.6. That means it's a number. It's not zero. We can see also that if this was, if these were and I'm not going to do it for the other numbers. Well, I could pretty quickly, actually, in my head, right? Because it's 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 1. That's so 2 and 1 is 3 and 1 is 4 and 2 is 6 divided by 5 is 1.2 to the other. Oh, well, it's less spread out. Okay, yeah, that's, that works. But it seems cool, but it's not. Uh, back in the 80s, people wore their hair like that. Not cool, really. We can come back back to it. You ever go to the mall? All you see is people with mullets. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing to actually still see that people... It's fine. You want to do whatever you want. I, I'm cool with that. It's your life. It's your body. It's whatever. You, put, you want to put things in your face and tattoo your eyes? I don't give a shit. You want to wear a mullet? It's great. But you don't mock people that aren't wearing mullets, and I've seen that at the mall. Two guys, probably about my age in their high school football champion jackets, 1984. You know those guys? They peaked at 17. And a guy walked by who was really stylish-looking guy. He looked like he probably was either going to Le Chateau to buy clothes or he worked there. Great. So he looked, pretty, looked good. He was dressed nicely. And they were making fun of this guy. They were saying, you believe the way that guy's dressed? And there's two guys in sweatpants, high school football jackets that are in their late 40s and have mullets. <laughs> I love the station ball. Um, it's just a, Maddie and I used to actually take pictures, surreptitiously take pictures of people with mullets and send them to each other. We haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> so for our purposes, it's just called the mean absolute deviation, or the MAD. Because it's MAD! MAD, I tells you. Mothers against drunk deviations. <laughs> so, 
It's just not that useful. It has a use, but not in the kind of statistics we will, will be, not what are called parametric statistics. It's some non-parametric, it's still used in some non-parametric statistics. So it has a use, it does exist, you can't calculate it, but for our purposes, it's kind of a dead end, unfortunately. Okay? So it's a bit of a dead end. It has a really nice intuitive appeal. It really makes sense. So it's kind of a shame that it's of no use. There must be a better way. <laughs> yeah, it must be or we just stopped, right? So, oh, course is over. Uh, so there's got to be some other way we can do this, and there certainly is. The one thing we can do to get rid of negatives, of course, is square the deviations. I know you know this. I know I believe you've seen these slides. Which is fine. I lent them to Dwayne. I said, you can base your slides on this. That's fine. Then he took off and moved to Newfoundland, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of hope he's listening. I really don't think he is, and I don't care either. But I, I just think it's funny to keep saying that. Running joke. You can only do it for the next couple of years, and no one will know who he is anymore, right? He might come back, though. He could come back. Then we could make fun of him again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then they make fun of him in Newfoundland, right? <laughs> yeah. So really, it's 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 a, it's a victimless crime when you come right down to it. Um. So the negative nine squared becomes eighty-one. Two t a negative times a negative is a positive. For those of you who look confused, it's been a while maybe for math. Okay. So we do that. Getting a little closer here. We're not done yet, obviously. You know that as well. That gives us a number. It gives us a weird number, though. It's huge, 112. None of the numbers were that big. How could a number that describes a, 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 a batch of numbers be bigger than all the numbers in that batch of numbers? That's not good. Well, it's because it's square units, right? So we've got to take the square root. Now you thought, again, Square roots is going to be useful. useless. You learned that in grade 8, probably. In 7th grade 8, you thought, when does anyone ever use this? <coughs> well, you do. So we're within the square root. When I was young, we had to learn to do square roots in our heads. Yeah, to, to one decimal place. It's, it's actually really easy. It's a method developed by Isaac Newton. So it's, it's Newton's method. It's really pretty easy. Make a guess, do a linear interpolation in your head. It's not, it's not that hard to do. Right? With, so the first thing, you have to learn all the squares of numbers from 1 up to 25. And then you do like, okay, so what would 46 be? Well, it's somewhere between 6 and 7, isn't it? Is it's it's going to be six point six point eight something, and that's for most of your purposes in your life. That's all you need is one decimal place. So it's not that bad. It's kind of cool. But now you have your fancy calculators. Hey, calculators! Now as a kid too. What am I saying? Come right back. But why do we have to learn that crap? But anyway. So we take the square root of it. And on that note, we'll stop for now. And uh, we will continue, I think, right? That makes it 11.58. We'll stop now and we'll continue talking about the stuff next time. Thanks, guys.
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.